Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. Not sure if I should say Merry Christmas or Happy Mother's Day, but it is great to be here. Um, perspective, right? We, we always need a helpful reminder of perspective. A um, couple things. Um, first, just to let you know, last year on this very day, it was snowing. Okay. Um, I, I remember because um, it, today is Lene's birthday. And so last year she got together with her friends uh, out in the parking lot because of COVID and everything else. And they were wearing winter jackets and blankets and everything else huddled in the parking lot as it snowed. So it's doing it again today. That's okay. All right. So maybe we just should expect it May 9th from here on out. Another perspective is this, you know, yesterday morning I woke up, got up early, um, went outside just to see what the weather was like, um, getting ready mentally for what the day was going to hold for the carnival. I walked out, I saw blue sky along with some nice uh, white fluffy clouds. And I thought, this is awesome. Thank you, Lord. And uh, we came, the girls came and helped me set up, uh, and others then came, and we went home real quick to get our clothes changed so that we could come back to the carnival and uh, be ready with our with our the proper gear on. And as we were going outside after we changed, um, what was happening well, was starting to drizzle. And I have to admit, at that moment, and I think I said it out loud, um, and I think Lisa heard me, uh, I said, I said, God, this isn't about you. I'm not mad at you, but I'm mad at it's raining. <laughs> and, uh, I think the two kind of coincide because God is the one who is in charge of the rain, right? Um, he is in charge of all the seasons. Um, so it drizzled a little bit in the morning and then it was nicer in the afternoon and we had a great day, but perspective tells me as I look out there. Uh, even now, praise the Lord for yesterday, right? Uh, praise the Lord for what he gave us. I, I was mad because I wanted it my way. I wanted it more of what I thought it should look like. And maybe maybe you wrestle with that each day too, and what we think we deserve or what we think um, should happen. And yet, it's almost like he's saying, hey, I, I gave you exactly what you needed. And uh, we're thankful for that. And we had, uh, we counted up our, our, our permission forms that we, that we had people fill out yesterday. And we had over 300 people that came yesterday. And so we praise the Lord for that. Over, <laughs> praise God. We had over 40 workers. And I know there were a lot of others who helped behind the scenes, whether it was making cakes. I think we had, where's Georgia at? Georgia, how many cakes do we have? 68 cakes. It was amazing. So I think Seth and Dana just started like handing them out at the cakewalk was much easier. I didn't get one, but they handed them out. That's all right. Um, man, it was a great day. And uh, we just praise the Lord for the relationships. Uh, I know there was a couple families that, that had said that they've been coming as long as their kids have been growing up. And so for numerous and uh, many years, which is really neat. And then just to have relationships, to have conversations with different people and, and to share the love of Jesus. 
You know, I think it, it showed me once again that, that we live in a world right now where families uh, are desiring something, some activity, something for their children that's safe. And, and we, we were able to provide that for free, you know, that, that it's not a burden financially for the families that came. And so roughly, just so you know, um, you know, we, we, we roughly spent about $2,500 on yesterday, which I think that's a pretty good investment for what all took place when you think about the different things that we were able to offer. Um, and so we're thankful and we're grateful for that and thankful for each of you who, who give consistently, who give faithfully so that the ministry can continue, so that we can continue to reach people uh, with the love of Jesus. And so we continue to pray that God will use those relationships, that he'll continue to open the doors so that we can share Christ and share what Christ has done for us and that people see that difference in us, whether it's a smile on our face, whether it's a, a warm greeting, uh, whether that's just coming alongside and helping, helping them um, with, with something that really isn't that big of a deal, but it means a lot to them as they saw us and interacted with them. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of that. And uh, I, I really, really appreciate each of you and your willingness to serve in that. You know, Pastor David and, and our staff, when Pastor David and I first started thinking about were we going to do the carnival or not with COVID and everything that was going on, you know, we were talking about it back in January um, because of the calendar and the way the calendar was. We, we thought, okay, can we do this? And so, again, perspective tells us Back in January, where, where were we compared to where we are now? And if you would have told me in January that we could have had a carnival with over 300 people showing up and to enjoy um, a, a drizzly but nice day, um, I would have said, I'll take it. And I would have jumped at that. And so, again, thank you for being a part of that. And uh, we really, really appreciate it. Each of us on staff and our leadership here, thank you for being involved. If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to the book of Acts, we're going to continue our, our unpacking this, um, this book. And as we jump through today, I know the last couple weeks have been longer passages. Today is going to be our last long passage uh, as we kind of jump through this. This will be, um, as you can tell, there's only 28 chapters. Today we'll be going through through the end of 26. So all we have left are two chapters of this book. And I'm sure some of you are excited. You're ready to move on uh, from the book of Acts. And I understand that. Um, I can appreciate that fully. Uh, others of you, hopefully you've enjoyed going through here. And I hope that it continues to resonate in your mind and your heart. And uh, I'll share a little bit towards the end of, of these, um, really these last four chapters uh, these three trials of Paul as he's gone on to try on trial, um, why they've kind of resonated with me a little bit differently this time um, than any other time that I've read through the book of Acts. And so um, excited to dig in with you. Would you would you bow with me and would you pray with me that that God would work in us uh, through his word? Lord, we are so grateful and thankful that you are in control of all things, that we can trust you. You are trustworthy. And Lord, there are moments and times and probably in each of our days, each day that we live where it's easier to trust you in circumstances and situations. And then there's more difficult ones. Each day we struggle at times um, to have the faith that's required. 
And yet, as we sang about it, Lord, we, we know that faith is so critical and so important in our lives. Uh, without faith, it is impossible to please you, Lord. And so we're thankful for the opportunity that you give us now to open up your word. And we're trusting by faith that your spirit will work inside of each one of us in our minds and in our hearts so that when we leave here, we will be changed and different because we've had a real encounter with the living God, with your word as you've spoken to us, that it would change the way that we live. It would change the way we think, the way we act. Lord, we need your help. Without you, we have no hope. But with Jesus, all of our hopes are fulfilled. We love you, Lord, and we're thankful for this opportunity to open up your word. We thank you for the day of being able to celebrate our mothers, how special they are. We thank you for them. We pray your blessing upon them. Lord, bless our time together here. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Acts 25, we'll start in verse 13, and we'll read through 26, verse 32. So Acts 25, verse 13. Now, when some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greeted Festus. As they were staying there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There's a man left, in, left prisoner by Felix. And when I was at Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused meet the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. So when they came together here, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal and ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem to be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to, keep in to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, said he, you will hear him. So on the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Then, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appeared, appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me, me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. Chapter 26, verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. 
I consider myself most fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and the controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to obtain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O king. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but they were put to death. But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them and I punished them in often in all the synagogues, and tried to make them blaspheme. In raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way to the light, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when I had all fallen when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand up to your feet, on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, del delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judah, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. 
but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. When they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, This man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Pretty cool passage, right? Last time that we're going to see um, Paul on trial and kind of his, uh, the third time that we've heard him sharing his testimony and his call to ministry. So a couple things before we kind of look through this uh, that became very apparent. First is that Paul, Paul tells very pointedly that it was God who gave him this ministry. And can I just tell you, that's something that I feel in my life too. And, uh, and, and when I w went through my ordination, um, the, the other pastors and the other uh, men who were on my ordination council, that was part of the questioning um, that they had in my, for me. And, and we had some professors at Bible college that would even go as far as to say, you need to try to do anything else you can. And if you can't do anything else because you know that God has you to be a pastor, then you need to be obedient in that. But try to, it's almost like they were saying, try to get out of it. I know that God has called me to ministry. Just as God called Paul, it became very clear to Paul, and he shares it here on, a, on the way to Damascus, God's calling I wonder today about God's calling on our young people. And I get concerned. And I wonder who's going to be the next generation of preachers and teachers of the word. So may this be a reminder to us to pray. Because we need more young men and women to be faithful in the calling of ministry. Whether that's being a missionary, a Christian school teacher, or a pastor. And that's not to say the other callings in life aren't important. But when God calls you to preach his word, there is nothing more humbling. So I hope that you will join me in praying that God would raise up some young men who will study the word and will be willing to preach it so that our grandkids and maybe for you, your great grandkids, that they'll hear good preaching because it concerns me. 
concerns me how many pastors who are resigning, who are doing other things. And let me admit, it would probably be easier for me to go and do something different. But I can't yet because God hasn't given me the permission to. Whether it's here at West Hill or somewhere else, God's called me to preach the word. And I want to be faithful in doing that. We see Paul as faithful in doing that. Paul is clearly sharing the gospel message. He's sharing part of his testimony, but it revolves not around him. And so when you think about your testimony, and I know there's different people in your familiarity and your comfort level as you share the gospel, whether you're uh, in full-time ministry or you're just, just a stay-at-home mom, come on, that's probably the most important thing in any family. We're celebrating moms today. We need to know how to share our faith. We need to be willing to share the testimony of what God's done in us. And so Paul doesn't make it about him. It's actually Jesus, and it's the living Jesus that appears to Paul. And so I want to encourage you again today, as you think about what Jesus has done in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, just like Paul was sharing, we may not have an audience of a king or other rulers or other mighty men that we're sitting before. But you have neighbors, you have coworkers, you have friends, you have family that need to hear and need to see Jesus. And maybe you don't like conflict. I've been accused of liking conflict. I don't like conflict, but I know that it's a necessity as we live life. There will be times when conflict arises. I don't go running to it, but it happens and it happens as followers of Jesus, not because, often not because we are seeking it or searching out or demanding, but it's because of Jesus and the offense of Jesus to people. So it's not about you, and it's not even about me. Let's dig in as we kind of walk through in certain sections in our text here. So the end of chapter 20... <laughs> Excuse me. The end of 25, we see here um, that Paul is going to appear before the king. Uh, king Agrippa. King Agrippa and his sister, Bernice, um, also have a sister. And do you know who she is? Well, she is... Who? Let me look for his name in the text here. I need to find it. So that way I don't say Festus. I always get Festus and Felix wrong. Festus... His wife is sister to King Agrippa and Bernice. And so there's that tie, the Jewish tie that they have. And so Felix, while he wasn't Jewish, there's a tie by marriage to the Jewish customs and the Jewish ways. That's why in the chapter before, Paul says to, to Festus, you are accustomed to the way. Well, how is he accustomed to that? Because his wife is Jewish. Because she has King Agrippa and Bernice as brother and sister. And so we see the text here, uh, King Agrippa, who's in charge of this territory. King Agrippa would have been in charge of the, the Jewish temple and the different things that were going on in the temple. And so he's coming. If he's coming to weigh into this court hearing, he's a little bit late, right? 
Uh, instead, he's here and he's been invited by Festus to be able to give some input. Why? Because Festus has been appealed by Paul to go, Paul to go before Caesar. All right. And so he's granted that. And because of that, he has to write a letter. Anytime that something moves up in the courts during the Roman rule, there had to have been a letter that accompanied it. We saw that earlier as the, the uh, Claudius writes a letter to Felix, all right, as he passes on uh, the situation going from Jerusalem to Caesarea. So now that the issue is going to move from Caesarea to Rome, and go before Caesar, there has to be a letter that accompanies Paul and the accusations that are made. If not, then the appeal will not be heard. All right. And so he has to come up with why does he need to write this letter? All right. What he's going to put in the letter. And so we see that at the end um, of verse 26, it says, but I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we have ex examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable in sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. And so what we see here is uh, Felix is saying, hey, I, I, don't, I don't even know what to write, or Festus is writing, I don't even know what to write in this letter because this guy is not guilty of anything. And so what are the real charges? And we kind of walked through that the last couple of weeks. Is it political? Is it, is it the territorial that Paul is usurping his authority uh, against the Roman government? Or is it religious where the Jews have brought these accusations where, where now Paul has interfered in the religion, the religious duties of that time, the religious hierarchy? Well, it becomes very clear that it's not political. It's very religious. And so in doing that, uh, both Felix and Festus find that there is no fault in this man. But he wants to hear one. He'll, he'll, he'll have input from somebody else. And I think he values the input from King Agrippa and Bernice because of their background, because of their Jewishness. He wants to hear from them. What they think. Because maybe he's missing something. He's perplexed. So we start chapter 26. What's interesting here is it's not Festus that gives Paul permission to speak. But who gives him permission to speak? It's actually King Agrippa. And so King Agrippa says, okay, Paul, your turn. You're up. Let's go. And so you have permission to speak. And then Paul, um, Paul starts his defense. Paul's defense is much like it has been. It, there's not a whole lot of difference here compared to the last two times that we've seen it, that Dr. Luke has written it for us. I do find it interesting, though, that, that if it's not much difference, why Paul just didn't sum it up or why Luke didn't just sum it up for us of what Paul was speaking. Uh, but Dr. Luke felt it was important, especially when you think about the early believers who were getting this letter, who would hear it and who would read it, that they would hear another account of who Paul was, Paul's calling that, that God had made on his life, and Paul's obedience. And so I think it's here purposefully a third time to remind the hearers of this early letter that they would have the understanding of this is true, that the story has not changed. 
Paul's story is no different than what he told it the very first time. And so we see this as he walks through it in chapter 20, 26 here. He talks about his, his bringing up of, of, of being in Jerusalem, of being in, in, in around the customs and he even admits and says, hey, I am of the Pharisees, the, the highest um, knowledge of studying, of, of zealots, you could almost say, uh, of, hey, this, they were fully Jewish. And he was part of that. And he says here uh, in his introduction in verse 6, he says, and now I stand here on trial because why? Because of his hope. Over and over and over and over again, Paul talks about hope. I don't know about you, but it can, we can lose hope, right? We can lose focus. And so when we stand for our faith, we don't just stand for the faith in Jesus Christ, but we stand for the hope that Jesus gives us. That's why we can celebrate so much on Easter. It isn't just for the forgiveness of our sin. Yes, Jesus died fully taking our sin, the punishment that each of us deserve. He rose from the dead, becoming the first to conquer sin and death, which then offers us hope because we will rise again. If we die here on this earth, our bodies die and decay, we know and have the assurance and have the hope that we will live again, that Jesus will return, that there will be a resurrection. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection offers that. Now, it doesn't lessen the forgiveness of sin, but it goes in tandem with. And so we are forgiven as followers of Jesus when we place our faith and trust in Jesus. When we believe that he is the only way by trusting that he died, was buried, and rose again three days later. We confess that we're sinners, admitting that we fall short of God's perfect standard. We claim Jesus as our Savior, claiming that what he did was sufficient enough that we could be forgiven of our sin, that we could become the children of God. But in that comes along this hope, because if that's all there is, then I believe that at that very moment that we accept Christ, we should go to eternity. But that's not part of God's plan. Instead, he has us here, living, breathing, walking amongst all the peoples of the world. And in so doing, we get to not only show our faith, but we get to share our faith. And part of that faith is the hope that this isn't it, that there's more. There's more to come. There's more than just what this world has to offer. And so Paul says here in verse 6, I now stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to who? What does Paul say there? The hope and the promise made by God to our fathers. And so he's going to make reference to this a couple times. And then he uses this phrase, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain. He's going back to the Old Testament. He's going back and referencing to the Jews when God chose Israel and said, you are going to be my nation. I'm going to, I picked you out of all the nations of the world and you will be mine. And I have something great and wonderful for you. As Jews read the Old Testament, even today, they can't wait for the Messiah to come so that what? They can be restored as a nation again. We've seen through history different things that go against that. 
but we've also seen some things that, that lead to that promise being fulfilled. That as a nation, Israel will once again become what God desires for it. Paul says, listen, this isn't just something that I created today or yesterday. Think back with me to the prophets. He's going to use this phrase again. This is just his introduction. He continues, verse 9, I myself was convinced that I ought not to ought to do many things as opposing to who? Jesus of Nazareth. He uses his phrase again, making crystal clear who he is going to be follower of, who he opposed and who he is going to follow. Jesus. Now, Jesus was a common name during that time, and he wants to make it perfectly clear who he's talking about. Jesus of Nazareth. This is the man. I opposed him. Everything, I was against him. But, Something happens, and we know that through this passage. Uh, he talks about the encounter that he has. It's interesting in verse 14 that Dr. Luke uses for us here um, Paul's Jewish name, Saul, Saul. Again, relating to who was Paul. Paul was a Jew. He wasn't just a Gentile. He was a Jew who was accustomed to all the Jewish customs that were needed in order to continue in their faith and their walk with God. And so he goes on and he shares his encounter. Um, verse 19, he says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared. Where did he declare? First, he went to Damascus. Then he went to what? The heart. All right? The beating heart of the Jews is found where? Jerusalem. Paul didn't avoid that. In this heavenly calling, that's exactly where he went. But he didn't just stay in Jerusalem. He said that throughout all the regions of Judea and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds and keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. I love it. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. Paul says, it's because of God that I stand here, and I'm able to stand here because of the help of God. No matter what situation that we may encounter in our life, I hope that wherever we're at, when difficulty or trials or persecution comes, that we can say what Paul said here. I've had the help of God, and that's why I stand here today. Because why? Because he was obedient to what God had called him to do. So what has God called you to do? Not just your profession, but what has God called you to do? We saw very early that Dr. Luke laid out for us what the calling of the apostles were. Paul was added to the apostles on the road to Damascus. Their calling was crystal clear that they were going to be witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. We're called to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just as Paul said, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. That's our calling and how we live. That's how you could sum up your life. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. But I do those things, why? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. I coach. Why? Well, I'm not really a coach. I'm a follower of Jesus and I coach because I'm a follower of Jesus. 
Think about it. When you think about your life and you do what you do, is the main thing because you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because out of that comes all of the motivation, all the right perspective of having the proper hope. He continues on. And he says here in verse 22, he says, To this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. So what he's referencing is saying, listen, all the things that the Jews have accused me of, the prophets and Moses have said they are going to happen. Remember who he's speaking to here. King Agrippa and Bernice, their Jewish background, they would relate to what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, listen, the prophets and Moses have already said this. And what have they said? He makes it crystal clear. He speaks it out. That the Christ or the Messiah, the deliverer of Israel, must suffer. And that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul's helping them to see that it's not just the Jews that the Messiah was going to come to. And the prophets and Moses share about that. It's more than that. That is also to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. They're at this point where they're listening. And what happens? Festus says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now remember Festus. Remember, think back to his background. He's married to a Jewish woman. All right? He is accustomed to the way, Dr. Luke tells us. So he knows what's going on. And he says this. He says, Paul, you are out of your mind. I think some of it is because of the last phrase. Because it wasn't just for the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. What was the problem of why when Paul went to most synagogues and he was sharing the gospel message, what was the issue? The main issue was that it wasn't just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. That they were being included in the gospel, in salvation, in deliverance. So Festus says with a loud voice, all these great, the pop and circumstance, these dignitaries are sitting there. The king is there. His sister's there, and Festus yells out loud, and he's like, Paul, you're crazy, dude. Paul replies, he says, verse 25, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. He greets him warmly with respect. He says, but I am speaking the truth and rational words. What does Paul say the gospel is to those who have hardened hearts? To the wise? It's foolishness, right? The cross is foolishness to the wise. Paul says, no, listen, I'm telling you the truth. These are rational words for the king knows. So now he's going to make his defense. He's going to even speak, hey, all right, I've already talked to you. We've talked for two years, but I'm talking to the king. Listen, the king knows. He says, the king knows these things, and to him I speak boldly. 
For I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. What he's saying is, listen, the king knows all about what's been going on. He's heard it. He's seen it. It's not like he's been sheltered away in the corner. King Agrippa, he's going to put him on the spot. Now, let me tell you, King Agrippa's not going to win no matter how he answers this. King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? If King Agrippa agrees with believing in the prophets, then he has to agree with what Paul just said, that the prophets and Moses talk about Jesus. But if he doesn't agree with the prophets, now he's big, in big trouble with the people who he, who he is king over. And he's in charge of the temple and the Jews. So Paul puts him on the spot and he wants to know, do you believe? I know that you believe. Paul's like, listen, you're not going to weasel your way out of this. As we share our faith with people, we don't want to put people up against the wall. We don't want to force them into making decisions. I do believe, though, it's okay to say, listen, I've seen this in your life, or I've seen evidence, or I know that you know this. And to make them think through it. Paul's making him, and Agrippa responds in verse 28. Agrippa says to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Agrippa's right there. And Paul's like, listen, whether it's a short time or a long time, I hope that all of you would become like me. Except what? I'm sure he holds up his hands and he says, except for these the chains that he's in. Says the king rose, that was it. They were done. Paul had said enough. They all raised and go out. The, the, the finality, the conclusion that Dr. Luke writes is this. This interaction, when the king rose and the governor and Bernice and all those who were sitting with them, verse 31, and when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, this man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Is Paul guilty? Not of the charges brought against him. He's guilty of being obedient to the Lord, though. I won't share details as I finish here. Um, have just a few minutes left. Uh, I've really weighed and wrestled with how much to share um, with uh, some personal things in my own life. A couple years ago, uh, I was going through a really difficult time. An accusation was made against me that was unfounded and untrue. It wasn't here in the church. It wasn't, it didn't have to do with here. It was out in the community. An accusation that was um, heinous in my estimation, and it was the work of the devil. It was one of the most difficult times in my life, and um, I couldn't tell anybody, not because it was a secret, but because, um, because of the accusations made, and I still hesitate today as I talked with one of my pastor friends about wrestling how much do I say and how much I don't, because I don't want to plant seeds of doubt. You know who I am. You've seen who I am. I'm not hiding anything. 
those accusations were brought against me and the way that I live my life. Through the course of the investigation, um, the story that was told against me was changed several times. So as I saw that, I saw that in the text and it brought back a lot of those same memories, a lot of those same difficulties. It wasn't my life, but it was my livelihood, my character, who I've strived to be that was under attack. I see that, and, and when I read Paul, and I read of how he gave an account for why he did what he did, uh, through the different interviews that I had to make, um, I appeared before three different people or groups of people to give an account, my account of the different accusations that were made. What I find here is Paul wasn't trying to defend himself. When I first was accused, I sent my letter because I had to write a letter of my account of things. And one of my good pastors, I had to read it. And, and he said, Aaron, you're trying to defend yourself. Don't defend yourself. You can't defend yourself. He said, you have to let God defend you. And I see that in Paul. Paul wasn't trying to defend himself. He was defending the call that God had given him. He was defending his walk, his faith, his trust in Jesus. That was really hard. That was really hard to rewrite that letter and do it in such a way that gave an account for things but wasn't trying to defend me. So through that time, appearing to three different people, the claims one after another came back that it was unsubstantiated. It's a legal term. I became very, very knowledgeable in some of these things and ways. Through the course of time, one after another, these unsubstantiated claims. It came to the final one where through the course of time, it was not right, but it happened that they were given permission to go and to tell their side of the story, even though they were unsubstantiated. I was given the right to sit before a group of people to tell my side of the story because the person in charge felt that it wasn't right to only hear one side. And so Lisa and I went, and when we went, God had put it in my heart that I was going to do one thing. And so before the group of people, I shared Jesus. That was my defense. I shared how Jesus had made a difference in my life. At a young age, I had come to know Jesus Christ as my personal savior. I trusted that Jesus forgave me of all my sin and that he was Lord of my life, and I had given my life over to him to live how God wanted me to live, not to live the way that I wanted to live. God called me to be a pastor and be in ministry. And in so doing, we wanted to learn from those who had gone before us. And so Lisa and I had put certain 
rules and boundaries up to protect us, to protect our marriage, our family, and to protect other people. And so that's why I don't ride in a car alone with another woman unless she's older than my mother. No offense for those of you who are seasoned. It's okay. That's why I, I have strived very hard I don't eat, eat meals alone with a woman. That's why when I meet in my office with somebody, George is here and I have my door open. Have I been perfect? No, far from perfect. But I got to share that day what I call Billy Graham rules. The rules and the, I wouldn't even call them rules, but just the parameters that Billy Graham put out in his life so that the gospel would not be hindered in being shared and being told. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the grace of God that God would give me and Lisa uh, the, the input to be able to put those together and to have those implemented in our lives and then to be able to share with a group of people why those were important to us. Why do I share all this? Two reasons. One, I think I've become a lot more of a teacher the last few weeks and not a preacher. Because it's easier to teach than to preach. It's easier just to read through the text and to tell you what the text says. A preacher proclaims the truth, but also tries to move people in that truth, moving you forward. So I share this morning as a preacher, sharing real life, real circumstances of situations that I read in the text and I can relate. Totally, no. I haven't been sitting in prison. I don't think I had any chains on my hand. I could go to sleep at night because I knew the truth, because I knew what the truth was. But there was a lot of heartache and there was a lot of struggle. There still is. I want you to know as your pastor, I'm no different than you. And so if I stand up here proclaiming a message that you think that is higher and mightier, that you're not able to live, that's not true. But for the grace of God, none of us are able to live the way God desires for us to live. But we need to pursue it knowing that there will be real opposition. And sometimes we can't control that. I wanted to control that. It was not right. I'm still mad. If that news would have leaked, our deacons knew because I shared with them, that news leaked to the news or to the media my ministry here would have been over. It's hard. It's difficult. But yet we know who sits on the throne. It is God himself. Paul's been given a promise, right? We saw it a few weeks ago that he will go to Rome. He will go to Caesar. He's going to proclaim the truth there. And so all along the way, Paul has that. I'm sure 
He's been reminded of it. We're going to see it in the text again coming up in these last two chapters of that promise, of the reminder. As you and I live each day, we have a great hope. The hope is not that this is it. The hope is that we have an eternal home with our Savior, with those who are followers of Jesus, and together we will be forever. That's our hope. Jesus provides that. If you don't know Jesus, I encourage you, place your faith and trust in him today because there's nothing better in all the world. And whatever hardship or struggles that may come along your path in the coming days, the coming years, whatever God has, as I continue to work through it and try to trust the Lord, so I encourage you, keep trusting the Lord. He is good. Amen? Thank, thank you for allowing me to share a little bit. I probably won't answer a lot of your questions just because not that I have anything to hide. It's just really hard to talk about. I praise God for his faithfulness. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Lord, we are undeserving of your love and your grace. Often I've thought of Jesus and the false accusations that were brought against my Savior. And for me to suffer in just a small way, like my Savior, what a privilege, Lord. What a privilege to be able to do that for you. And I pray for us as a people at West Hill that you would help us to fully and completely surrender day by day to continue to give our lives and to live in a way that the world sees that it's not about us, it's about Jesus. Knowing that there will be slander, that there will be attacks against us. And in some small way, we can take comfort when that happens, knowing that we're doing something right. Because we know the gospel is offensive. And Satan desires to destroy our testimony. He's the father of lies and he desires to even deceive and to take away our character. But what's most important about our character is not who we are, but who Jesus is. And so as the writer of Hebrews tells us, may it be true of us that we would keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you for the people here at West Hill. Thank you for the privilege of leading and pastoring them. And I pray that you would continue to move us forward as we live our lives in a way that honors you 
the way that your word has told us to honor you, to love you, and to share the gospel. Help us to be faithful in doing that. I think we all would say, Lord, that we love you. And I pray that it would show in our lives this day and the week ahead. We come to you in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, our Christ, the one who gave his life so that we can have the hope of eternal life.